There's no business like show business, like no business I know. It's a hard knock life for us. It's a hard knock life for us. From the beautifully restored Brownwood Lyric Theater in revitalized downtown Brownwood, it's waxing lyrically. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! The podcast devoted to and hosted by our own Lyric Theater players. Now here's your host for tonight's show, Paul Underwood. Welcome to our humble little studios. We've got this little plexiglass shield that did Jimmy... Did you do this yourself? Well, Jimmy did. I, I'm not technically... I couldn't do this. And, you know, <laughs> it would take me... I'm just not handy that way. But Jimmy Henry made this little thing here so we can take our masks off. Yes, that's lovely. It's any time that you can take your mask off. I think it's a little bit of a... It's nice. It's a respite. Well, let's get into a Christmas story. Okay. I'm old enough to remember when this came out. Mm -hmm. I I think I was like a senior in high school when this came out as a screenplay made for television in 1983, A Christmas Story. And I remember it being not tremendously well-received at that time. Right. Because we're in the early 80s, and this is something that takes place in the 40s, mm-hmm. and people back then were not interested in looking back. Right. into the, They were looking toward the future, you know, everything right. was future in the 80s. So it took a while for this thing to marinate and just go into where it aired every holiday season. Mm-hmm. And then it found an audience. Mm-hmm, it did. Brian, my husband, and I have been together for 28 years. And since we were 14 and 15, and every year we have watched this show. <laughs> my, It is my husband's absolute, right next to Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown. Yeah. This is my husband's absolute favorite Christmas show. And so when the opportunity arose, I like I was like, okay. That's the one I'm going to do because it does have such a following. And I think it's one of those things that you either really love it or you're like, eh, (laughs) you know, like, um, maybe not. I was kind of one of those, eh. Yeah. Yeah. Because... Nobody seems to be doing very well in it. You know, the little kid, mm-hmm. he doesn't get what he wants. Just get the kid a BB gun for right, crying out right. loud. And the dad, you know, dad's got his own issues, you mm-hmm. know. And um, so I just kind of looked at it as the, you know, it just didn't seem like one big happy family. Yeah. So yeah. It, it, uh, it, it's kind of dark that way a little bit, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. Um, but gosh, it's got some some classic, classic moments that oh, even it, if you don't really love the show, yeah. you're going to appreciate Flick sticking his tongue to the telephone pole. Yeah. And the... All of the curse words that aren't curse <laughs> words that the dad says, and Ralphie, you know, help trying to help change the tire, and the oh fuck. Now you're bringing back all these memories. You I'm know. so familiar with. It. Yeah. But uh, I guess uh, when I was a senior in high school, I wasn't ready for that dark, yeah. the dark humor. So this is it. You get the perfect mixture of you get the nostalgia, mm-hmm. and then you get kind of that biting. 
humor in yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. There's talk, some really funny moments. <laughs> talk about some of the characters, some of the actors that you're working with. Oh, my gosh. I'm he, looking at a picture here of, of John. John Munson. Munson. And he looks just like Ralphie. Isn't it's, he It's precious? incredible in that. There is nothing that that young man can't do. He is an incredible actor, has the voice of an angel, can sing like nobody's business. When he gets on stage, he absolutely shines, but he's not one that seeks out the spotlight yeah. at all. Yeah. And so when we talked about the poster and showed him what we, what Eric wanted to do with it, he was like, that's, you're not going to, let's put one of these other pictures <laughs> smack dab in the middle. And um, we finally convinced him that it was going to be okay, yeah. you know, and, um, but he's doing a wonderful job. We, just because of who we had, we had to kind of raise Ralphie and his friends age a little bit. I think yes. in the movie, they're nine or 10 right. and we just didn't have that number turn out. So we have a lot of high school kids that are playing those roles. Um, John Munson is playing the title role of Ralphie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Brad Wells is playing older Ralph and we'll know him as the narrator. Okay. The yes. one that, you know, kind of moves the story along. Yes. But what's unique about this is that we get a chance to see him interact with his memories. And so he gets to come in and there are times when him and Ralph will say things at the exact same time, oh, you know, cool. and so it really kind of adds a really neat aspect to it. Um, we get to see what he looks like as an older person. And then the dad is it's just that character is being knocked out of the park by Shade Tidwell. Uh, <laughs> he his energy is infectious. Yeah. He he's incredible and he's funny. Oh my gosh, the first time he let out with his curse words that weren't curse words. Uh, and he's like he was having such a hard time memorizing them because he said, Shannon, they don't mean anything. Like Could you give us give us a sample of one curse word that uh, is not really a curse word? I'll be uh, I'll and I'm not going to say it right. Um I'll be a dog bladded bladded cinnamon dish. Um or he says uh rasafrasin dog-legged clinker. I'm going to get them all wrong. But, and he hap- they, they come out so fast and some of them are so close to actual things that you have to think, you have to think about what he actually said. Cause he doesn't say any bad words that just sound like bad words. So a Christmas story, we open mm-hmm. on December 4th and it's going to run for two weekends. Yes, sir. That's yeah. right. That's Cannot right. Wait. Shannon Lee's in the hot seat on Waxing Lyrically. This is your host, Paul Underwood. Let's go all the way back now, Shannon. Okay. I want to talk about, I think you grew up right here in Brownwood, I Texas. did. Born and name? raised Miller, Shannon Miller. Shannon Miller, okay. Mm-hmm. There was a passel of Miller kids. There were four of us. Yeah. And um, my mom had four kids in five years, so she just kind of little stair steps. Dink, 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 dink. And I'm the youngest of the four. So and what was so- that like growing up being the youngest? If you ask my siblings, I kind of got anything that I wanted, if you can say it that way. I think I didn't get monetary wise things that I wanted, but I kind of ruled the roost, I guess, with my personality. I was a bulldozer. My mom to this day still calls me a bulldozer sometimes that I just see what needs to be done and I just kind of do it. My dad wasn't really around a whole lot when I was growing up. So my older brother Shane and I really kind of linked up together and tormented the other two because they're more quiet and milder. Have have you always had that outgoing confidence about you? 
I guess to other people that I, it kind of comes across that I do, but in reality, and I think a lot of theater people are this way, they can be what they need to be in a moment, but on the inside, really, like I told you earlier, sitting down and talking with you, I was mm-hmm. like, I give me high school kids any day <laughs> of the week, give me somebody my own age. And I'm like, I'm terrified that I'm going to become a blathering idiot. But I guess in some ways people think that I have, um, but on the inside, it's probably sometimes a different story. But. So you were a part of Larry Mathis's yes, theater sir. department. Mm-hmm. Now, anything before Larry got you? Were, uh, there just weren't really any avenues for Mm-mm. young people back then. No, there wasn't. Um, we didn't have any community theater. Yeah. And um, nothing in junior. Nothing high. in junior high. I would do a, the occasional Christmas pageant at church right. and that kind of thing with a small part here. You know, you play a sheep or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, and we would do. I did some things like that, but it wasn't until junior high. Were you in dance as a little girl? No, or I was not. We really couldn't afford that. I took. I do remember when I was probably like eight or nine. My mom scraped some money together to let me take baton twirling lessons. Uh And I thought that I was the bee's knees. (laughs) And um, so... Uh, I did that for a while, but that wasn't anything that we could sustain. And I took gymnastics for a little bit, but I just could not. I could do cartwheels and I could do the splits and things like that and round offs, but I could never get my back handspring. And if you're stuck at that, then yeah. you're really not going to go very far yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in gymnastics. And so that kind of went by the wayside. But when I was in junior high, I was a cheerleader. And at that time, you didn't have to like really try out or really have any talent to be a cheerleader. You just said, I want to be a cheerleader. So they ended up with like 58th grade Uh cub cheerleaders. I wanted to try out to be a high school cheerleader, but I got a bad conduct grade in English Mm. that year. And there's that personality coming out again, Mm. I guess. And um, I didn't agree with that. But (laughs) I got it nonetheless, and it kept me from trying out for cheerleader. And, of course, I went home, and I was distraught. And I said, Mom, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? This is going to be one of those moments that changed your entire path. Yes, yes, all because I got an in in conduct in Miss Lindsay's English class. Wow. Um, My mom kind of jokingly said, looking at the choice sheet for high school, we're sitting there staring at everything, and she said, why don't you sign up to be in theater arts you're dramatic yeah and I went okay okay and so I did I signed up for theater arts and the first day of school I walked into the auditorium with those red velvet seats and the wooden back chairs and the big red curtains and the big bee hanging above it and we're sitting there and the auditorium is dark so we're walking in as freshmen into this big massive place and there's no lights on and we were kind of like are we supposed to be here is this where we're supposed to be but the lights were on on stage. And this tiny little man that was five foot nothing, a hundred and nothing. You didn't know Larry back then. I did not. Had never met him. Walked out on stage and he performed a piece called Scratch the Newsboy's Dog. It's about a little boy who's an orphan, doesn't have any parents, and all he owns or all he has is this little dog to comfort him. And he's talking to the dog and he takes his last penny and buys a, a bottle of milk to feed the dog. Yeah. Real and dog on stage or pretend No, dog? no. He okay. pantomimed it. And um, 
that night he's dreaming about what it would be like to meet his mom again and that she's gone to heaven. Well, he wakes up the next morning and, or no, he's sitting there and he looks up and the dog is gone. And so he looks off and he sees the dog on the railroad tracks and the dog gets hit by a train and he starts bawling and crying and squalling. Well, he picks up the dog's broken, lifeless body and cuddles it. And then Larry stood up and he walked to the edge of the stage and he said, the next morning a night watchman while on his last rounds found the frozen remains of a small 12 year old boy in his arms. He was clutching the lifeless body of his poor little broken dog. His (laughs) prayers to meet his mother had finally been answered. And everybody in the audience is like, all these freshmen are like, especially the girls are like balling. And we started clapping and I looked at that little five foot nothing, hundred nothing man. And I said, that's what I want to do. Wow. And, um, Ooh, Paul, you're going to make me cry. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what I've done every day. A theater has been in my life every day for the last 28 years in some capacity. What a story. And the fact that you still remember that entire story, what an impact that made on you. Well, and I loved it so much and I wanted to do that so much that that was, then he would assign us like monologues in class and things like that. And I was like, I'm going to do that one. If that's the one you're doing, that's what I'm going to do. So over the next four years, I actually performed Scratch a couple of times. I would do it for prose interpretation um, and take it to competition. I would do it for dramatic interpretation um, when we would go to NFL tournaments and things like that. So I got an opportunity to perform that. So was pretty neat for you was it a learning experience uh, or or did you just uh kind of have a, a knack for it um uh, as far as being comfortable up there and, i uh, guess everybody everybody uh, i truly believe that everybody is nervous to some capacity when they get up on stage yeah um because i think back to my high school days i had limited i wasn't in theater but mm-hmm. you know i was in choir and we did a right a musical you know and uh i was uh, the prince in cinderella in oh. one of the worst high school musicals ever <laughs> because i was just i just wish that my future Yourself now could go back yes. and, and talk to that high school mm-hmm. senior, you know, and tell him, what are you so what are you scared afraid? Of? What are you so yep. afraid? Because I was just so stiff, you know, yeah. with my body and everything. Yeah. And, uh, I think to answer your question, my I think I had some natural proclivity to it mm-hmm. because I can remember we got our first color television when I was nine years old and we got a VCR that year too for Christmas. And my Aunt Nita bought me a VHS copy of Walt Disney's Cinderella. And I watched that thing until I could perform it word for word and did all the voices. And (laughs) it drove my brother Shane absolutely insane. He was like, if I never hear Cinderella again, it will be too soon. And So um, you were a natural. I think I did. Yeah, Yeah. I enjoyed it. But getting up on stage, as we all know, getting up on stage in front of people is very different than sitting in your living room at nine years old, uninhibited, because you're safe and doing, you know, what's in your heart. And so I think we put our own shields up and things like that. And we inhibit ourselves because we're afraid of what people will think, or they're going to think that we're dumb or that we're not talented or, and it takes a lot of the fun out of it. You know, the pressure of pleasing people. We're going to get back to that, but we're going to get back to it as far as you being the teacher a little bit later. Let's just kind of move on with your story. So you have all your great theater experiences at Brownwood high. Does one stick out above any of the others? 
the summer between my junior year and my senior year, and Larry's going to kill me for sharing this story because <laughs> he knows that I'm still bitter about it because we talk about it yeah, a lot. Yeah. Oh, okay. um, but uh, the summer between my junior year and my senior year, there was a little community theater production of Romeo and Juliet. Uh-huh. And we performed it out at the National Guard Armory. Well, it went into, the performances went into the school year. And so we had started our fall show, which was Nevermore. Mm-hmm. And I got the impression that Mr. Larry Wayne Mathis was irritated at me for missing the first few rehearsals, which it's hard on a director. Now I can look back at that and say, okay, I understand. (laughs) But, um, because you were involved in the Romeo and Juliet and so you missed a little bit. So I missed a little bit of those rehearsals, but this was my senior year and I'd been in it at that point. This was my fourth year and he cast me as cabin woman number one. I didn't have a single line. Your senior year. My senior year. Ooh, Ooh, I was seething. (laughs) And not only that, but the costume that he dared to put me in was like this black shroud and it had a black covering over my face. So my parents couldn't even see who I was. (laughs) Like they couldn't pick me out in a crowd. So I was a little irritated at that. (laughs) And he came to me as kind, and he did not have to do this, but as kind as Larry is, he came to me and he said, do you want to know why I made the decision that I made? And I was not kind back. I said in very haughty tone, uh, no, if you think all that I'm good enough is playing cabin woman number one, I'll be the best cabin woman number one you ever saw. (laughs) And I was a little bitter. Um, but then I'm guessing at this point you were one of his (laughs) prized students, right? I don't, I don't know. I mean, Daniel Dunham and I were the only two in the senior class that had been there all four years. We certainly gave him the most fits, you know, but I don't know about prize. So it's like, continue on, continue on. Um, so, but then for one act that year, he did the same show. He did Nevermore. And he uh, gave me an opportunity to play the lead in that show for one act that year. And that was definitely something that I won't ever forget. Yeah. It was incredible. And you graduate from Brownwood mm-hmm. High and you're going to go to college. Mm-hmm. My college career is very varied as well um, for several reasons. My senior year, I got accepted into the American Musical and Dramatic Academy in New York which was amazing. It was a conservatory. It was a two-year program. Go to New York, which is every theater kid's dream. Oh, sure. Um, My mom was an LVN. It was just her and me at home at the time. There was no way that we could afford it. And, of course, my mom is like, you're 17. You... I cannot turn you loose in New York at 17. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I have a hard time letting you go to Taco Bell. You know? <laughs> so AMDA fell through the cracks and I ended up going to Hardin Simmons my first year. And it was a very small theater program. And I went there because my sister was there and I knew I would get a lot of stage time. And I did. And I had a wonderful year at Hardin Simmons, did some of the most fun shows so are you going then with in mind that, hey, I'm going to be a Larry Mathis? Is no. Is that why you were going to college? No. No. Okay. No. All right. Um, I was an actress. <laughs> hmm. okay. I was an actress first and foremost. And oh. I was an actress probably in until the fifth year of my teaching career. I was just an actress acting like a director. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I can pretend to be a director. And then I had a moment, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, when we get into the teaching aspect yeah. of it. But yeah. I had a moment. Okay. So um, you're... 
So at that point. you're you're still at, you're going to be a star. I'm going to be I'm going to be an actress, yeah. and I was going to bide my time. And in fact, March, my freshman year of college, I asked my mom if she would take me to an open audition at the University of North Carolina. It's where all the regional theaters come and they just have this huge cattle call audition. And my mom had at that point only ever been out of Texas one time in her whole life. And she um, had never gone just her being in charge of it, you know, like it was her parents that had taken her and she was very young and stuff like that. So she had never been out of Texas. And here's this bulldozer of a daughter saying, let's get in the car and drive to North Carolina. (laughs) She, she said, Shannon, we can't just drive to North Carolina. I said, well, why not? You've got a brand new car. You just got your tax return. Why not? You had it all figured out. And, well, I usually think I do. Sometimes (laughs) I don't. That's where my husband comes in. Um, And sometimes my children. But um, so we did. We loaded my grandmother, me and my mom, up in my mom's brand new Geo Prism. And we drove to North Carolina. And I auditioned. And I got several offers um, from some regional theaters in one in West Virginia, two in Virginia. Mm -hmm. Um, And, again... It just kind of, it just didn't feel right. I was just scared. And so I didn't go and I didn't do it. My, you know, one opportunity and I missed it. Anyways, we came back and I left Hardin Simmons that year and my mom wanted to go back to school to get a degree in elementary education. Yeah. She had been a nurse up to this point and she was tired of nursing. And so I told her I wanted to transfer to UNT in Denton and she said, okay, then I'll enroll in Texas women's. So me and my mom loaded up and moved to Denton. And my brother, Stephen, and um, started at UNT and at uh, Texas Women's. It was a huge program. So I went from super conservative. Oh, yeah. Nine theater majors uh, to UNT with 345 theater majors. Wow. And, and not conservative. And not conservative in the least. Yeah, opening, wasn't it? It really was. It really was. But it was a really valuable experience and got to work with uh, a really cool professor there who was the first person to look at me and tell me, you're not ready to go to New York. You're just not. And when you're ready, we'll get you there. But right now, you're not ready. Yeah. You know, at first, that's a little hard to hear. But then you appreciate that somebody is honest with you. Right. And so... Anyways, we left UNT, then we moved back to Abilene because of some family issues, and I was at Cisco for a year. Um, wow, you were all over the place. I was. I was just looking, because I, I know <laughs> somehow or another you end up at Angelo State I do. Eventually. You're right, okay. and I'm almost there. I'm almost there. <laughs> um, I tell my students all the time, listen, if I can do it any buddy can do it because it ended up taking me eight years to get my degree eight years and three children wow you know but if I can do it anybody can do it so went to Cisco for a year did some community theater stuff there in Abilene um, with Abilene Repertory Theater and then finally in March of that year I told my mom if I'm ever going to finish college I've got to get away and just be on my own and I've just got to do it so that's when I moved to San Angelo and started at Angelo State in 2001 what a path. What a route. <laughs> it's so, a story. Yeah. So what is this young man, the love of your life, Brian, who oh. you're, you're high school sweethearts with this guy? He is, yeah. He what's is. He, what's he doing when you're moving all over the place? <laughs> 
Um, well, uh, so he was one year older than me. We started dating and it's so crazy. We started dating when I was 14 and he was 15. And the first time I ever met him was in Larry Mathis's office before school. I would go up there before school to hang out, you know, mm-hmm. because we tend to flock to where we're most comfortable. Yeah. Choir kids will hang out in the choir hall. Mm-hmm. Band kids will hang out in the band hall, you know, things like that. We just hang out where we're comfortable. And so I was up there. Well, this mutual friend of ours, Jesse Sams, comes in with this goofy looking mullet headed blonde boy and introduces us. And I was like, it's nice to meet you. Well, he pursued me and I thought he was goofy, you know, and somewhat irritating. Well, then on May 9th, 1994, he asked me by the band hall if I would be his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And at that point it was... Okay, sure. (laughs) And um, 28 years later and three children, here we are. And it's not been a bed of roses. I mean, you, marriage is hard. It's 100% and 100% every day. And yours especially. I guess let's just talk about all of the obstacles and everything that you had to face as a a young couple. Now, first of all, Brian has a hearing impairment, He does. He's 70% deaf in both ears. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. So, okay, there's a challenge in and of itself. So we took sign language together in high school. Yeah, wow. And um, we dated through high school. He graduated and went on to Cisco to get his associate's degree in automotive technology Mm -hmm. to become a mechanic. And um, when I went to Hardin-Simmons my freshman year, he would come every weekend when I moved to Denton. He would come every weekend. I still to this day don't know where he got the funds to do that in that 1983 Dodge pickup (laughs) that, you know, but he would come. Um, and, and he was, mm. <laughs> do you have Kleenexes? I <laughs> know we probably should, uh, especially if you're going to, you know, interview me, somebody should have warned you, um, that I tend to cry a lot, but, uh, he was, he was just very good and very loyal. And between him and my mom, it's a toss up as to who's my biggest fan. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> um, okay, is if the hearing thing with mm-hmm. your husband, which I'm sure now you look at it as that's 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 nothing really. Yeah, we now. just talk louder. Yeah, yeah. Um, you get married, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm assuming I'm getting this in the right order. You get married. You are getting you this have, in the right order. And then yeah. you get pregnant. That's right. And yep. they, the doctor tells you it's twins. Uh, that's that's a fun story. Um, yes. So we found out we had been married. We got married in June 16th, 2008. And one. And then we found out, uh, I think August of 2002, that we were expecting on a Friday. So I came home and tell my husband, we're going to have a baby. And he's like, whoa, boy. Yeah. Well, okay. Here we go. Mm-hmm. And at that point, we'd been together for eight years. It's yeah. not, you know, right. it wasn't new. Yeah. <laughs> and so. Yeah. Um, How did that happen? No. Yeah. No. yeah. No. And uh, one week later to the day, I wasn't feeling real good. Yeah. And I was telling my mom about it, that I was just hurting. Well, she's an LVN and she's like, okay, well, it sounds like it could be an ectopic pregnancy where the baby implants in your fallopian tube rather than in the uterus. And so she took me to the emergency room. Mm-hmm. They do blood work. They do an ultrasound. They do all of this stuff. I called Brian and said, we're on our way. He left the dealership where he was working and came over and was going to meet us at the hospital. 
Well, right before he gets there, the doctor comes in and she says, we don't have the results of your blood work, but we have the results of your sonogram. So we're going to go ahead and tell you that. Then when everything else gets in, we'll come and talk to you about that. My Uh mom and I are like, okay. And we're holding hands because we're scared, you know? And the doctor says, well, um, everything looks good. The babies are in the right place and everything's fine. And all we heard was it's good. And so my mom and I are like looking at each other going, all right, hot dog, we're good. And then we look at the doctor like, all right, is that it? And she has a strange, confused look on her face. And she said, and there are two of them. And my mom and I, like, it was, I mean, it was complete and utter surprise. We were like, oh, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That instant, it was like the bubble with the words are still hanging to the doctor's <laughs> mouth. And my husband walks through the door yeah. of the room that I'm in. And I said, guess what? And my mom said, let him sit down. <laughs> and I said, we're having twins. And he... He sat on the bed. It was like in slow motion. He just sank onto oh. the bed and put his head in his hands and went, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> and I was super yeah. stoked. I mean, I there's, was no, there's no, there's not many men out there that are prepared for, for one, twi- yeah. you know, let alone two. Yeah. You know, yeah. I remember, yeah. I'm not ready. I'm yeah. not ready to be a dad. You know, yeah. it's too much responsibility. And then to find out, well, you got two. Yep. We and, had twins. And, and they, it was just such smooth sailing throughout the pregnancy. And uh, No, <laughs> no. The, well, it was up until I was six months. I yeah. mean, there was nothing wrong. There was absolutely nothing, no signs of anything weird. And then November 17th. You're so good with these dates. Well, it's hard to forget. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, November 17th, we went to a craft fair there mm-hmm. in San Angelo. We were looking for Christmas presents for family members and things like that. And we just walked around all day. And I'm notorious for not drinking the way that I'm supposed to. Yeah. I'm notorious for not eating the way that I'm supposed to. So that evening I got real tired and I, my back hurt. And so I went and laid down. Well, about seven, my back was hurting real bad. And my mom lived in the same apartment complex. So I went over and I said, mom, I don't feel real good. And she was like, well, you've got insurance, get in the car, go get checked out. By the time I got to the hospital, um, on, uh, that evening on November 17th, I was dilated to a five and didn't even know that I was in labor. Mm. And, um, so they told me you're going to be here until you deliver these babies. And so they gave me this stuff like magnesium sulfate or something that tastes like you're sucking on pennies, but to try to stop the labor. Yeah. And they inverted my bed, put my head down, my feet up. And, um, at two twenty, Lily Elizabeth Lee came into the world. Mm. Weighing, she weighed two pounds, three ounces and wow. was 14 inches long. Wow. And then um, <laughs> there were 18 people in the room with me when I gave birth. Mm. Because they were so early, they called cooks and had what are called the teddy bear crew that came to pick them up. And so there were two sets of crews. So there were uh, four people per baby. So there were eight of them that flew in on a jet. And then there was the helicopter pilot that wanted to be a part of it. And my anesthesiologist and two pediatricians and my obstetrician and the nurse and my husband and all of this kind of stuff. So he delivers Lily and this other lady had come in and she was working on her fifth kid. 
And he just tells me, just hang on a second. Don't push. Yeah. I'm going to go deliver this other baby and then I'll come back. Because most twins, they're born one, two minutes apart. Right. Well, Lily and Hannah were born 18 minutes apart. So Hannah came into the world at 238 and she weighed two pounds, four ounces and was 14 and a half inches long. So tiny little things. Wow. Mm -hmm. They um, spent the next four months at Cook's Children's Medical Center in Fort Worth. Lily had a lot of complications. She had a grade four brain bleed um, where a vessel burst in her brain, which caused her to have hydrocephalus. They ended up doing her first brain surgery on her when she was 10 days old. She weighed one pound, 10 ounces. It's astounding to me. Like her veins were the size of a human hair. How do you do that? Like, how do you do surgery on somebody whose heart is the size of your thumbnail? Like, I just don't understand. No, it's amazing. Um, She ended up with, uh, before it was all said and done, two brain surgeries, a heart surgery, surgery on her stomach and surgery on her ears before she was two. And then Hannah had two collapsed lungs. She was probably the sicker of the two. She was the only one that the doctor came in and said, we're going to try this. And if it doesn't work, yeah, that's that. Yeah. So that was a, that was a hard day. And that was the day that I went into one of the pumping rooms there and hit my knees and said, Lord, if you take one, just take them both because Mm. I can't just, I can't do that. And he was gracious to me and let me to bring them both home. And here we are 18 years later. Well, it's really neat so, to hear your story because I've, I kind of follow it a little bit on Facebook and you've posted oh, a lot of that because the yeah. twins had a birthday. They did. A few days ago. They I did. Think, didn't they? Turned so now 18 on the 18th. 18 years mm-hmm. old. What what an amazing story. Yeah. And then let's cool. don't leave Emma out of this. Oh, no, you can't leave Emma. That child came into the world like a wrecking ball and has just dominated it. I tell everybody, and I've, 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 <laughs> I've said this to Emma, that she's been a trial and a tribulation. She also has a hearing loss like her dad. Um, that a, was that hereditary kind it of is. deal? Yeah. Sort of? Um, okay. So Brian's dad has it. Both of his sisters have it. Three of his nieces and nephews have it. Yeah. Um, so it's, it is, it's hereditary on his father's side, but she's, she's just that kid that just isn't ever going to let anything stop her ever. (laughs) And, um, she's a force to be reckoned with. She's a funny kid. So I kind of bring all this, these life experiences you've had back to theater, I guess. Mm -hmm. How did going through all that change you and shape you as a director? Oh, I'm thinking, here's what I'm thinking. I don't know what you were like in high school before. Maybe you sweated the small stuff. Maybe you Mm -hmm. really let little small details get in the way. Well, after what all you've been through, it would be easy to say, it's a piece of cake. That's (laughs) nothing. You know, funny enough, when I started teaching, of course, I wanted everything to be perfect. I wanted every little aspect of every show to be exactly perfect. And it wasn't until about five years in when I realized, ooh, I'm not an actress acting like a director. I'm a director that that I started, I stepped away from that and I stepped away from what I could do and how I could bulldoze my way through it and came to the realization that it's all about kids and their education. And that's when I really learned to give up control of all those little things and to say, okay, 
like Sydney Ivy, when I got to Brownwood, Sydney Ivy is a perfect example. She came to me at 15 years old as yeah. a freshman yeah. and said, I want to, we were doing Beauty and the Beast and mm-hmm. said, I want to choreograph something. Well, er, you know, I was like, oh, you're you very young. Yeah. And, and there's a part of me that didn't want to give it up, not because of recognition's sake, but because right. I know you what needs to happen. Yeah. And I know that I can get it accomplished mm-hmm. and you worry about that. So I gave her one small dance and her and her mom choreographed it and she came in and she taught it. And I said, that was great. You did wonderful. And it was the dance between Lumiere, the candlestick and Babette, the feather duster. And it was like t- a tango. Yeah. Yeah, I, then, I saw that show. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then Sydney was an employee of ours too. So. Oh yes, that's yeah. right. I yeah. forgot about that. Yeah. Um, thank you for working with her theater schedule. <laughs> <laughs> because then her sophomore year she comes in and we're doing hairspray yeah. and she's like, I want the whole show. Give me the whole show. So I did. And so but one thing that being a parent especially in the moment with my twins after they were born, taught me is that I really have no control. (laughs) Like I think I do. And I like to, I like to think that I do, but really I have no control. And in that moment, it was the first time in my life that I cognizantly realized I cannot bulldoze my way through this. I do use my life experiences a lot. Like when a kid comes to me and is like, my mom took my cell phone. I'm going to (laughs) die. I'm like, but are you really? I mean, let's talk about this. Your parents love you. They provided you with a phone. They provide you with a roof over your head and food in your mouth. And are you really going to die because you don't have your phone? I mean, they're not mistreating you. I think that's probably the biggest way that it's influenced my teaching career. Now, we kind of glossed over this, but at some point, and maybe it was during all this, but you did have to come to the, that realization, you know what, it's not going to work out for me to be an actress. Maybe mm-hmm. I've got, the, you know, those dreams are gone. I'm meant to do this other. Was there a, a specific moment in time that you, you remembered that? And, and was it hard? Yeah, it, there, um, I really don't think that it was hard. My husband had supported us through all of this, through college and children. And he allowed us to, was gracious enough to allow me to move back here to do my student teaching with Larry Mathis. So we moved back here and he got a job at Kohler for that time in our lives. And he was just wonderful. And it wasn't a hard decision to go to, okay, now it's my turn. I've, I've got my degree. I graduated in May. Now let's put all of that effort to work and start supporting this family, you know, with what I chose to do. And that's when I applied for my first teaching job. It wasn't a difficult decision. It really wasn't. I mean, there's always times that you're like, you know, what if this or what if that? Oh, yeah. But um, if you know me and you know my relationship with my students. Yeah. Yeah. It's there's nowhere else I'd rather be. (laughs) Yeah. That's great. I guess your first job was at Bangs, right? Where you took over that theater department? No, actually, my first teaching job was in a tiny little town in East Texas called Onalaska. And I told my father-in-law that I had gotten a job in Onalaska and he about had a heart attack because he has hearing loss. And he said, you're not taking my babies to Alaska. (laughs) And I said, no, dad, it's a town called Onalaska. It's on the shores of Lake (laughs) Livingston. It's in Texas. Mm -hmm. Um, It's on the shores of Lake Livingston, about 30 30 miles east of Huntsville. Yeah. So I taught in Onalaska for two years. 
And then my third year, I took off to help get my daughter Emma ready for pre-K because with her hearing loss, she could start pre-K when she was three and got my first taste of being a stay-at-home mom. And I remodeled a little apartment that was on the property because I had to have some kind of a production. (laughs) I'm talking like I I leveled it. I painted it. I ripped everything out of it. Well, I I get a sense that that you do that. I mean, you're involved in costuming. You're involved in furniture restoration. And there's a lot of things. So um, you just don't like idle time, do you? I I do like it. I just um I just don't think I handle it very well. Yeah. I just see all these things in the world that I want to do and ooh that would be cool and let me see if I can do that. Yeah. And um I think I can do that. Hey, there's an old suitcase. Let's turn it into a dollhouse and see how that goes. And it went great. And so um and then I applied at a, a town called Madisonville that's halfway between Dallas and Houston, right on I-45. And so I went in and got hired on the spot. And so we moved to Madisonville and I taught there for three years. And then my grandmother here in Brownwood was getting ill. My mom had moved back here to help take care of her. So we, it's just, we felt that we needed to be closer to home. I applied at Bangs. I applied at Comanche. I applied at Coleman. Anything that I could drive, you know, around here, I applied again at Boys Ranch. And Bangs was the only one that called me for an interview. And Brian, at the same time, was interviewing to become the new auto tech teacher at Brownwood High School. And so he got the job at Brownwood and I got the job at Bangs and we moved home. And I was there for two years. And then Larry Wayne had been telling me for seven years, I'm going to retire. I'm going to retire. And I'm like, okay, I'll believe it when I see it, sir. I'll believe it when I see it. Well, he told me it's real. It's really real. And I'm retiring and you need to apply. And so I said, I thought long and hard about it because I loved my time at Banks. Yeah. That was the first time that I had ever taken a show to state and when I play, um, the kids were phenomenal. Mm-hmm. The support of the community was incredible. Mm-hmm. Really amazing that, that, that Bangs is always, they've had that and they yeah. continue to have a yeah. great little theater. They do. Program. They do. And, and I think they just, And at the risk of some of this getting cut and you can make that decision. (laughs) But um, I think they realize the value in all things and they try really, they try really hard and they had an incredible year this year with football. They had a great year this year, but they haven't always been successful in that area. And I think that they're really good at seeing where the success is and supporting those kids and supporting the people that teach those kids. And I absolutely loved my time there, but I didn't trust anybody else to put the effort that I knew that I could and would put into that program that raised me. Yeah. Yeah. So I came home. That's awesome. I need a Kleenex. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's I've, okay. I've, I've got to get Kleenex in here. I'm sorry, Shannon. It's okay. It's um, okay. Um, let's take it back to the, the lyric. Because, okay. you know, it's difficult for you because you have such, you know, eight productions or whatever you do, so many yeah. responsibilities with your program. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, but let's just talk about the different shows you've been in, lyric shows that you've been in. Okay. One I know particular because my daughter was. That's in one right. With you. That's right. Um, was that your first one? That was my very first lyric show. And Wizard my, of Oz. Yeah. Well, and I say that it was my first lyric show to act in. Um, my mom and I did all the costumes when the lyric Annie, did Annie Get, your, get your, gun, your Gun, which my wife yes. and daughter were in. There yes, too. that's yeah, right. Jill was telling me. Yeah, and she did yes. all the costumes. Yes. Too. Yes, that's right. So we did that, and I actually came home that summer and stayed with my mom. We were still in Madisonville at that point. And I came home that summer. My mom had just bought out a costume shop um, out of El Paso and thought that that's what she wanted to do. She wanted to, she had not gotten a job as a teacher. She was again, still tired of being a nurse. And so she thought she and I had done all the costumes for every show that I had directed up to that point. We just built them from scratch. And um, it was something really cool that we could share. And so she opened a costume shop here in town and was hired to do the costumes for Annie Get Your Gun. So I came home that summer to help her with that, which was a super cool experience. Um, My first experience working with Dr. Humfeld and Lori Arp and have grown over the years really close with those two precious ladies. Of course, I've known Eric Evans my entire life, yeah. like since I was born, because we went to Faith Baptist Church together, and <laughs> I used to sit with Ben and Ivanell on the third pew on the right-hand side of the sanctuary, <laughs> and they were kind to humor me with that. But um, my first show to act in with the lyric was The Wizard of Oz, okay. and that was so much fun. The hardest part of that show, I think, was trying real hard not to scare the little kids. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Being the Wicked Witch of the West, you know, so it was, but gosh, that was a fun show. My wife really got to show. experience that playing Mrs. Hannigan. You mm-hmm. know? None, none of the little kids <gasps> on stage were afraid of, yeah. of her and Annie, but yeah. uh, when after the show was over, no, nobody would come up and want to. That's hard, but that did, means did you you've done your job well. Yeah, and was it the same way for you after the show? Can you remember the little kids being scared of you? Oh, my goodness. I don't. No real I'm sure there. it did. Yeah. I'm sure there were some little kids yeah. that were scared of me. I know there had to have been. I don't really remember it. I've got some really fun pictures because that show performed at Brownwood High School. And I've got some fun pictures of me in the student center with some little kids. And they're like making these growly faces <laughs> at me. And I'm <gasps> looking all scared and wide eyed and shaky, you know. And, and so I've got some fun pictures of that. But I know there had to have been little kids yeah. that were afraid of me. And I know that you were most recently in nine five yes, last sir. summer. Yeah. Now, there, there might have been some other ones in there. Or... Mm-hmm. Um, I was in Beautiful Beulah Bell, mm-hmm. and that was really interesting. I played a hard-of-hearing Aunt Annie, yeah. and um, who was boy crazy, and I got to pick up Austin Bynum and sling him over my shoulder at one point and walk him out the door, and I yeah. think that, that was like, everybody was like, holy cow, she can pick that dude up, you know, but that was really fun because Ben Cox played my sister and oh, oh my goodness. We never got over his fake boobs and the fact that he got to keep his full beard. I mean, he had the full beard and, um, that was so, so much fun. It was so funny. The curtain would go up and the audience would start laughing (laughs) because there he is with this beard and we had to be frozen. And so I'm hearing them and I'm trying my hardest not to laugh. But so I was in Beautiful Beulah Bell. I was in Shut and Bar the Door. Another one that I was in with Ben Cox, which Ben and I love acting alongside him. It's just so much fun. And 90% of Shut and Bar the Door, Ben and I didn't talk because I don't know if you're familiar with that story. 
I want to see that. I'm a little vague on it. But um, yeah, it's we make a pact. Whoever talks first has to get up and shut and lock the door. Yeah, it sounds like a everybody loves Raymond script. Yeah, kind of, yeah, sort of. yeah. <laughs> yes, and so that's right. And so neither one of us wanted to talk. So people come in and they start robbing us, and nobody's going to say a word because yeah. whoever talks first has to shut the door. Yeah. And then I was in Oliver. That was a super fun show. Um, helped with props and lighting on that one as well. And then I was technical director for uh, several of the kids' shows, Aladdin, Lion King, Alice in Wonderland, Guys and Dolls. That was another musical that I was technical director for. I wasn't in it, but I helped. uh, I did the set for that. Um, My daughter Lily has taken over and done several of the costumes for the lyrics. She did all the costumes for 9 to 5. She's currently doing all the costumes for Christmas Story, so it's kind of in the family. Yeah. So. All of the roles, I'm fascinated because you're fantastic. You're so great on stage. You're so, you've got great comedic talent, (laughs) nine to five, Mm. and you're just, you you play every character so big. And how do you get that across to your wide-eyed high school students? Because they can think that they're big Mm -hmm. and they're not big. Right. You know. Yes. And and that's kind of me, you know, in in my few little moments on stage. Um, Yeah. How do you work with somebody on that? Because you know what I'm talking about. Somebody thinks that they're you know, big and natural and you're going, "Mm, you're kind of stiff, you know? Well, there's several things that over time, of course, like with anything, you, you kind of hone your craft and directing and teaching are exactly the same thing. And at this point I've been teaching for 15 years. And so you develop things. And if that doesn't work, then you try something else. And I'll tell you, I mean, I have 325 theater kids at Brownwood high school right now. And every single one of them requires something different, you know, some different little Wait, you have way 325? to. In the theater department. Wow. Yes, we do. Yep. Wow. And we've got about 50, about 50 on the junior high level. So we've been able to, in the last few years, to bring that part back to the junior high, which is wonderful. So. But that's through Tech Theater 1, Advanced Technical Theater, Acting 1, Acting 2 through 4, Play Production. We've offered musical theater class. We've offered theatrical design. Yeah, that's great. So we, yeah, they have lots of different. I had no idea there were that many involved. Yes, yeah. And my play production class has 54 that's in incredible. one class, yeah. but that's the cream so of the crop. So any, any tricks in it? Is it just, yeah. you, is it just, you handle each person individually or how do you there's several things so one thing that that you can do that I really I try not to like mimic it for them because I could stand there and tell them exactly how to deliver this line and this is exactly how I want it to sound but then you end up with robotic acting you've got to make it real to them and so you use real life experiences a lot of like storytelling and okay imagine this or have you ever experienced this Mm. okay well this is kind of like that you know um you use stories you use personal stories you you ask them okay do you have a little brother or sister do you ever get mad at them okay show me how mad you can get at your little brother like do it right now yeah well, I'm have to yell. Okay, do it. We're over here all by ourselves. <laughs> Nobody's going to know. You know, they're used to weird noises coming out of the theater department. So just do what you got to do. Yeah. And I always say that if I can get kids in junior high, and this is what you were talking about earlier, if I can get kids in junior high to realize that it doesn't matter what people think of them, the rest of their life is going to be so much easier, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and they're going to be so much more confident and they're going to be, um, 
you know, just better all around human beings. They're going to be better communicators, all that kind of stuff. So you do that. You can also videotape them. I've done that sometimes. Videotape them and let them watch themselves. Pretty much it's building a relationship of trust and then finding a way to let them get there on their own. And some kids are naturals at it. Some kids are just, they just pop it out. You know, they observe life without really realizing that they do. Yeah. And they have to play an old grandma and they just think of their old grandma and then off they go. Yeah. You know, we had a young man when we did Streetcar Named Desire that pulled a lot, sadly enough, pulled a lot on his own life and what it was like hmm. to live with an alcoholic. Theater incorporates absolutely every other aspect of life. There is nothing in life that is not included in theater. Yeah. I mean, it's mathematical. It's scientific. It's musical and lyrical. It's physical. Um, I had a one, one girl, God bless her heart, that ended up getting a black eye. She was a volleyball player, and she yeah. got a black eye doing the musical that year, and she went to volleyball practice. And she said, her, her coach was like, what the heck happened? And she was like, oh, I was at theater practice. And the coach was like, wait, what? And Maddie Gosh looked at her and said, yeah, don't you know, theater's a contact sport and just didn't drop a beat and just kept on going. We, of course, tried to keep that stuff from happening, yeah. you know, but it is physical. I mean, the kids that danced in Little Abner are every bit as much athletes as the people that are on the football field on Friday nights. And oh my goodness, if you saw Newsies and the things that those kids did in that show, it's athleticism yeah. and it teaches teamwork just like all those other sports do. It teaches empathy. Like you said, I mean, it, it incorporates art. It incorporates, you know, everything from painting the sets to building the costumes to, I mean, marketing it in, I mean, it's just, it incorporates everything and it makes complete whole human beings. You kind of touched on it with the the girl that got a black eye. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> I love hearing the stories of when things don't go as planned. Oh, yeah. Oh, Lord. Yeah, the mishaps on stage, <laughs> uh, whether productions that you were in, maybe that you were a part of, or maybe it's something that you, as a director, you're going, oh, how are we going to get out of this? Through a 28-year career, there's... <laughs> a ton of them, but there are a few that um, really stick out in my mind. I can't remember, really can't remember any in high school. Um, I was in a play at Angelo State called Taking Steps. And it was theater in the round, which was really cool because it was the first time I've ever experienced a true theater in the round. I was running off stage in a blackout between act one and act two, getting ready for intermission. And there was a pole in the aisle way at the end to separate the audience section from the aisle for the actors. Okay. And I was running off stage in a blackout and I ran face first into that pole, <laughs> clang, you know, in the complete dark. And it caught me on my right cheek and my, cause I was running yeah. my left hand and it broke the ring knuckle on my left hand just snapped it in two. I ran off stage saying a few choice words that my mother would not be proud of. And I, I turned to my friend, Julie Staffel, and I was like, I think it just broke my hand. And she, was, she wasn't the, the brightest crayon in the box. And she said, no way. Wiggle it. If you can wiggle it, it's not broke. And I said, okay. So I'm like, and it's like crunching. And I was like, I don't think I'm supposed to do that. And my, my wedding ring finger is like permanently stuck out. I can make a fist with everything but that. So it looks like I'm awkwardly flipping people off. But anyways, um, 
Uh, so I went to the emergency room that night and the doctor looked at it and was like, I've never seen that in my life. How do you, I don't even know how to cast that. He said, but you're going to be in a cast for eight weeks. And I told him, I said, you have six because I'm getting married in six weeks and I kind of need that finger. And so, yeah, yeah. um, so that was, that was an interesting one. Broken bones. Um, then getting into directing high school kids. I remember one performance, we were doing Count Dracula in Madisonville (laughs) and I cast this guy and I thought it was going to be this dramatic show. And like, I intended it for it to be a drama. It was going to be spooky. We were performing it around Halloween and it was going to be lovely. Well, I cast this guy who was like six foot three Hispanic man named George Contreras. Um, he had just a slight lisp. Okay. And I could not get out of him what I wanted to get out of him. And he was trying so hard for me to be everything that I wanted him to be. And finally, one of my mentors said, why are you fighting what he naturally is? And I looked at George and I said, George, just be you, just play it like you and just, just be George. And he was like, okay. And instantly that show turned into one of the funniest comedies (laughs) I have ever been a part of. And so this is a perfect example. We had these bats that would strategically fly across the stage, right? Uh And so, um, and they'd eat, eat, eat and everything. And their little wings would flap their little robotic bats. And, um, this one time, okay, George and the young man, uh, Philip that was playing Renfield were on stage having an argument or whatever. What's supposed to happen is the lights are supposed to black out. George was supposed to disappear through a hidden bookcase. Um, Then the lights come up. Renfield is on stage by himself. And then the bat comes flying at Renfield and goes out the French doors at the back of the set. Well, our bat wrangler got a little overzealous and flew the bat too early. So Count Dracula and Renfield are both still on stage together. And here comes this bat flying right at Dracula's head. Just <laughs> ee, ee, ee. And Dracula and Renfield both look at the bat and they duck and they turn and they watch the bat fly out the door. And they're lost. You can just see their little wheels are turning. <laughs> and do? they look at each other and Count Dracula looks at the audience and says... Excuse me, that was my mother. And then just keeps on going. And I thought I was going to wet my britches. Um, that it was so funny. And then in that same show, I was supposed to make a pot of coffee. I forgot to make the pot of coffee. The young girl playing Hennessy is ready to walk out on stage with the coffee service set, and there's no coffee in the pot. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did this to my kids. I forgot to make the coffee. I've been so busy. So I'm looking around for anything that I can find that resembles coffee. And I'm like, oh, Dr. Pepper, that's brown. So I got it and I poured it into the coffee pot. On goes the coffee pot. Okay. And my young man that was playing Jonathan Harker is supposed to make himself a cup of coffee. Uh So I'm standing backstage and I'm, I'm gesturing to him. Don't drink the coffee. Just don't drink it. And he's trying real hard to stay in character, but his director is acting like a lunatic behind him. And I'm like, don't drink the coffee. Just don't drink the coffee. Well, he's not paying attention. He's to his coffee pouring. Mm -hmm. Otherwise he would have seen that it was fizzy. And so he's pouring his cup of coffee and he's looking at me off stage and he's putting in sugar (laughs) and he's putting in creamer and I'm going, Oh Lord, he's going to drink the coffee. And sure enough he did. And it was an interesting spit take in that comedy of a show (laughs) when you've got creamer, sugar flavored coffee. And he's like, 
you know, took one sip of it and said, somebody really ought to do something about that coffee and then just went on. But, um, they're, they're masters at just fixing it and moving on. They're just incredible. I've kept you long enough. I'm sure there's a million and one things you've got to do. (laughs) I'm sure there is. Just a few more, a few more questions. Your dream role as an actress. Have you played that yet? Shannon Lee? I anticipated you asking that question, and that is hard. I have been really, really blessed. Um, I played Bloody Mary in South Pacific. I got to play Juliet in Romeo and Juliet. I, I've been in some really—I got to play um, Medea in Medea. I got to play—now, that's not, like, the Medea that we're used to these days. It's Greek Greek Medea. Okay. I, mean, I, right. I, was... I say that to my kids, and they're like— <laughs> Like Medea's Christmas, like Ty- what Tyler you know, Perry like Tyler character. Perry, then, and I'm like, <laughs> okay. no, like the real one, the original one. Okay. Um, I love Alphaba and Wicked. I've mm. loved it since the first time I read that. I love Mary Poppins. I love Donna and Mamma Mia. There's a lot of them, um, but I've been very fortunate to get to play some really beautiful, beautiful roles. Um, I didn't know how much I wanted to play Blanche and Streetcar Named Desire until I directed that show. Um, but, uh, that would be a really, that's a really incredible part. Dream show to direct. Have you directed that yet? Uh, I would love to direct Sweeney Todd. Um, I don't know. I got to direct Newsies. I got to direct Hairspray. So, um, is there a play that I want to direct? I'm getting to direct a Christmas story. Like, I don't know. <laughs> they, I've just been very, very fortunate with all of that. You know, either way, our community is going to be blessed, whether you are directing or acting. You're amazing, Thank Shannon you, Lee. Paul. Thank You've got you. an amazing family. And as I walked into the theater, I mean, I, your husband's up there on stage. He's helping yeah. out. You had your daughter, Hannah. Uh-huh. Hannah's Hannah. helping on the light yeah. board. She's going to run lights for the show. My daughter, Emma, is painting set. And my daughter, Lily, is in the costume room working on costume alterations. So it's a family affair. It is. December 4th, we have opening night. What thoughts will be going through your head uh, minutes before the curtains raised? what I will want for this cast is the same thing that I want for all my casts is for it to just be everything that they want it to be. And even if something goes wrong, because things will, things are definitely going to go wrong. You know, a Christmas tree is not going to light up or a sound cue is not going to be there or, you know, a somebody lighting, might shoot their eye out somebody or might Who shoot knows? their eye out or, <laughs> you know, or something like that. And, and really in this world of COVID right now, it's all kind of a crapshoot as to really whether or not it's going to happen anyways, yeah, you know, yeah. because we don't know what tomorrow holds. No, we don't. I didn't want to bring that up or yeah. stress it, but it is, it is real life and, and, yeah. and you're right. It's been a challenge, um, but you just you just keep moving forward. Shannon Lee, thank you for joining me on Waxing Lyrically. It wasn't me. that bad. It wasn't. I need to get Kleenex <laughs> in here. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's okay. Next time I'll remember to bring my own. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's Eric. <laughs> All 
right, we're at that time of the show now where we bring in the managing director, the theater, the what executive director. What are you? What are you called, Eric? Well, what my is it? formal title is managing director. Okay, uh, we got a Christmas story coming up. We do a Christmas story is headed out, and if people want to come and see the show, you need to go online to get your tickets. Mm-hmm. BrownwoodLyricsTheater.com. Right now, we've actually we're introducing the entire 2021 season, and so you can find a way to give gifts. There's a gift certificate available there. There's also all the shows that we're doing for the adult series uh, in 2021. It's all full. I think it is going to be a fantastic year in the theater. I'm looking forward to kind of getting past that current place that we're at. As a society right now and being able to have live theater and people knowing that they can see some shows on the stage of the Lyric Theater. People are going to feel safe. I think it'll be a great show. We've had a run of this. We did it for Get Smart. It worked out pretty good. Nobody died from it. so <laughs> we, we don't know of any deaths from this particular... And matter of fact, we don't know of any spread or anything. What we're doing in the theater for our patrons and those people who attend the shows, it is a wonderful space. Uh, the theater is comfortable. We've we've got great ventilation in here. We've kind of ramped up all that stuff. So yeah. uh, people are going to feel safe coming in. And, you know, r- frankly, we only get to put about 100 to 120 people inside the theater any one time. Yeah. Uh, so that's in the entire space. that seats 367. Yeah. And this show, you're going to giggle all the way through it. All that good stuff. Matter of fact, she's even got a truck on the stage. I saw that. Yeah, yeah, it's actually very cool. I mean, that's one of those things that I would want to come just to look and see what she's doing, that kind of stuff. Shannon is a seasoned director. Yes. And this is the first time she's directed for us. I'm very glad to know that I know her and that she's willing to be a part of the Lyric family and to invest her imagination, her creativity, and her knowledge in directing people. So I hope people get out and come to see it. Can't wait. Hey, we'll talk next year, and we'll talk about all these upcoming productions. Maybe we'll save some time to, to go over each and every one of those the next time we talk in January. I appreciate what we're doing here. All right. Me too, Eric. Thank, Thank you. you, Paul. So, Shannon. Yes, sir. We've talked the talk. And now we got to walk the walk here. All right. Um, I, I ask every one of my guests to perform a dramatic reading of some sort to close the show. Yeah. Have you given that any thought? Well, we've talked an awful lot about Mary Poppins and that it is a show that I'd like to direct and a show Uh that I'd like to be in, and it's something that I grew up on. And so I thought that we would give uh, a song for Mary Poppins a go. Okay, so like Tuppins or something? Well, um, we're going to try Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. (laughs) But I believe in us, Paul. We're going to be all right. Okay, so I assume that I'm going to be the Dick Van Dyke. Yeah, I can you play Dick for that Van Dyke. Part. Yes, and okay. I'll do Mary Poppins. Okay, and you've even brought a little karaoke version here. Yeah, I found one on, yes, I found one online that didn't sound too goofy. All right, but we're going to give this a shot. Okay. No pray, rehearsing, right? We're not, no rehearsing. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me get it to the beginning. Ooh, are you ready for this? All right, here yes, we go. Yes, okay. yes. Okay. All right. It's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious Even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious If you say it loud enough, you'll always sound precocious Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious Why, because I was afraid to speak when I was just a lad My father gave me nose a tweak and told me I was bad But then one day I learned a word that saved me aching nose the biggest word you ever heard 
and this is how it goes so supercalifragilisticexpialidocious even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious if you say it loud enough you'll always sound precocious supercalifragilisticexpialidocious this is yours. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> when Duke's in, I'm, 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 pass the time with me. I'll say a special word in the after. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious, if you say it loud enough, you'll always sound precocious. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. You know, you can say it backwards, which is docious ali expiacious fragicalarufus, but that's going a bit too far, don't you think? To dismay, to dismay. Just summon up this word, and then you've got a lot to say. But better use it carefully. For example, one night mm-hmm. he said to me, "Girl." And now, me girl's my wife. Oh. Oh, and a lovely thing she is, too. She <laughs> supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. 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 Oh, mercy. We tried. We could oh. try again if you would. That, that was my fault. Thanks for listening to Waxing Lyrically, sponsored by the one and only Teddy's Brewhouse in downtown Bronwood. If you enjoyed our podcast, why not share it with a friend? This is your announcer, Kurt Schneider, wishing all Brownwood Lyric Theater lovers a great day. See you next time. Wizard that there is or was is ever gonna. <laughs>